This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. The metric to abundance is not good and bad. Bad people become rich. Bad people become successful. Bad people make a shit ton of money. The metric is worthy and worthless. And you are the only person that can decide how worthy you are and how worthless you are. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Hey everyone, we have a special episode for you today. So in our Sue Bryce Education Facebook members group, we've been having just some really great conversations about just what's happening right now and how it's affecting just our headspace and our business. And Sue decided that this is something she really wanted to bring to everyone because this is such a crucial time for all of us. And if you've ever listened to Sue speak, you know that she is such an incredible teacher around mindset and just how our mindset affects our money and our business and our ability to just move forward and grow. And this is such an important time to be nurturing our own energy and value and really paying attention to what we are doing. And so we thought it was the perfect time just to have her on to talk about all of these things. You know, this just, it doesn't have to be a time to fail. This can absolutely be a time of growth. And Sue really hits home about all of this during our conversation. I'm really excited to have Sue on with us today, and we hope that you get a ton out of this episode and also that you are all staying safe and healthy. Hi, Sue. Thank you for being here with us today. How exciting. Hi, Nikki. Yeah. So, okay, I want to kind of jump right into it because we're in some really interesting times right now. And when I was thinking about what you teach and how much it's changed my life, I just thought this would be such a good episode because what you teach around money and mindset around money has personally changed my own life. And being in a really, you know, whether it's an economic downturn or a situation like what we're going through now or when you're losing business, it seems like having all of this in place, you know, all these feelings and energy and just understanding about money, having it in place just sets you up to be successful during these times. And I know on your education platform, you have a whole segment like dedicated to this. So I thought this would just be something really good to talk about today for people. 
Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, I do. I have like over 20, I think 23 money videos. I think I started doing them four years ago. Two reasons. One, money is a skill that you have to learn. And unless you were brought up with wealthy parents who actually physically taught you how to, you know, receive, attract, keep, manage money, unless you were specifically brought up by parents like that, it's something you may have to learn. It's not something you're born with. You can be born lower socioeconomic, uneducated, and you can learn and build wealth if that's what you want to learn, because that's what I had to learn. It was a skill. I grew up blue collar. My parents, they lived month to month. They never really thrived with money. They thrived as human beings. So I had a loving home, a very fun home, but we were poor. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've changed that. We were broke. We were not poor. Poor is definitely an energy, a poor me. We were broke and my Mm -hmm. parents never really learned how to ask for more or be more in that area. I significantly identified that as a child. And then I was in a situation as a teenager where I had to leave school at 15. And so I did not finish high school. I left in, you know, my middle of my 15th year when I turned 15 on the 4th of June, I left that day. I could not go back. There was one high school in my country town and I had to go and find a job. I just knew that I was going to be an uneducated kid Mm -hmm. in this country town. And if I did not learn how to create this, and that's when at that time I, I received my first money book, which back then, and that was a long time ago, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And yep. that was my first introduction that money is an attitude and an energy and it's something you can cultivate, something you can learn as a skill. And if you can't attract money, you can't keep money, you can't manage money, if you avoid money, if you have debt that causes you physical pain and suffering, you need to learn how to get out of that and then learn how to thrive. So that was my first one. The second one, and my TEDx talk hits this really strong, I realized when I started my business at 30 that I couldn't sell my own work. So there was a fear of money and there was a value problem there because I literally felt bad asking for money and I had to really work through it in the inner work, I call it, the thought work around money and the energy around money, because I wanted to know why was it so easy for other people to accumulate wealth and why did I just drive it away or not even attract it? So to me, it is a skill. It is a skill that I learned and implemented and changed my life. When I started teaching my business model, I realized that there was this big group of people that had the self-value and self-confidence already, and they just wanted the words and the tools to sell. They just said, just tell me what to say. I'm already Mm -hmm. confident enough. I can do this. Just tell me what to say. And I would give them the words, and they would go immediately and turn it into action and make money. And then I had this massive percentage of people that were like me. I'm too scared. What if I fail? Mm -hmm. What if I'm rejected? What if I'm not good enough? I'm an imposter. I'm not there. I have no value. And it occurred to me these people were just like me. They had no money skill. They didn't know how to ask for it. They didn't know how to attract it. They didn't know how to value it. They didn't know how to manage it. They didn't know how to sustain it. 
And if I didn't teach them that, they will never, ever launch and they will certainly never sustain. So it was the biggest thing I did, Nikki, to change my adult life and the fact that you said it significantly changed yours, mm-hmm. I am exactly the same. I don't sit here and think this education will change your life. I watched it change mine. So all I can do is tell you how I did that. And you have to activate that in yourself with whatever filter and past experiences you have. Sorry, that was a really long answer, <laughs> but that absolutely sums up why I'm so deeply passionate about it. Yeah, and you are. And you always say that. You say that you can't take credit for changing people's lives because we're the ones who did it and made the changes just like you did. You made your own changes to change your life. But I have to say, it makes it really, really nice and a whole lot easier to have someone who is teaching it to us for us to follow kind of like the steps to make those changes. I mean, okay, well, wait, can I just speak to one thing? That's fine. But if you are telling yourself a story that is circumstantial, if you are saying this is not my fault, this is happening to me, if you're saying, but this is the world is making this happen to me right now, then you don't acknowledge that this is something that you actually have the power Mm -hmm. over and Mm -hmm. that you actually have, you're the reason it's happening right now. Because whatever you're talking about, whether you're talking about your bank account, is really just a sum total of how you have attracted, how you have received, how you have maintained, managed, and kept your finances in the last five years. And so right now, when there's a downturn, you're hit with, you know, following the Warren Buffett quote, who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out. Mm. Whatever you're hit with when the tide goes out, you have to first take responsibility for and then understand you got yourself into that situation. This is your calling to get yourself out of it now. So you're never in that situation again. So yes, you could say you teach it, but people have been teaching this money work since about 1917 when Wallace Waddles wrote his first book, which is still my favorite book on money, The Science of Getting Rich. So the education for money has been there the entire time. People avoid learning about money. Mm -hmm. And I think they avoid learning about it because everyone instantly ties money to themselves and they don't see that it's actually a skill you can learn. But I believe it's because Money, the ability to attract and receive wealth and abundance, must come from a place of self-value. In order to create any abundance, you must believe that you're worthy of receiving it and being able to ask for it and then step up and receive it and take action on it. That has to come from a place of value. So I tied teaching money and self-value into the same lesson. And when I can show people that they can learn it, they stop avoiding it. And that's the biggest problem. People in debt are in full avoidance of their money. And avoidance Mm -hmm. is that painful place that you refuse to look at it because there's shame, there's guilt, there's pain, there's hurt, and there's a yucky feeling and you just don't want to see it. So you avoid looking at it. So the first thing I do is get everyone to turn their attention actually to their money every day. Look at your bank account, deal with your debt now, 
you know, like your life depends on it, Dave Ramsey says, and get out of the hole because as soon as you're out of the hole, you can start building up from the hole. Okay. And this is the piece that I know for me, even if I was going to make those changes, if I didn't change my energy around it and the way I thought about it, I was going to end up back into that hole. And yes, there, there is a lot of money education out there, but I feel like one, people have to be ready and open to it. But two, I'm going to be honest, I didn't even realize how much I needed it, <laughs> like how much I really could change it. I think it was, like you said, happening to me. I wasn't the one doing it. But once that changed for me, it changed everything. And that's the piece that I think is so crucial is to not end up back in that hole. Yeah. You texted me the other day and you said, Dan and I sat down and we did, we had a money talk, you know, because as you go into a downturn, you need to communicate with the person that's sharing your money mm-hmm. so well, big communication, honest, mm-hmm. big, calm communication. And, you know, you text me and you said, Dan looked at you and said, Sue's been training you for this for the last seven years. Yeah. And I was like, Nikki, that made me so happy because <laughs> I, I literally sat there And I looked at this and I said, I have been saying this for seven years. I'm going to prepare you for a downturn. I'm going to prepare you for a recession. You must cushion yourself now so that you are prepared in times of need to make sure you are sustainable. And I just know that a lot of people didn't or couldn't or didn't know how. And now they're faced with the panic and the pain and the anxiety of being caught short Now, if you take all the emotion away from being caught short, there are solutions, but you can't get to the solutions when all of your angst is in the way. So first you have to get to acceptance and then you have to take baby steps from there. So I said on my live last week, if anybody is in debt right now and they are in the, I don't know how I'm going to survive till next month. You've got to get help first. You've got to go to Dave Ramsey, follow him on Instagram, like right from emergency fund up. He's really helping people. You need to cut back, but you need to fully step into what you're faced with. Don't avoid it now because it's only going to compound and make your life much worse and much more pain. So Mm -hmm. just turn all of your attention towards it and take control back in your emotional self. That is the first place you've got to go just to be able to calm down enough to see the truth without all the pain and worry thought getting in the way, right? Oh, absolutely. So I guess that's the thing. In a situation where when the tide is out and you're naked, okay, yes, you know, you go to a program like Dave Ramsey or whatever, but how do you shift the mindset so that you don't ever end up in the situation again? The first thing you have to acknowledge is how you got there. Mm. How did Mm -hmm. I get here? Okay. And the second thing that you kind of have to acknowledge is I got here. I did this. Now, even if you've attracted somebody into your life that has contributed to this debt, you're still responsible for your part in it. You don't have to blame them. You don't have to talk about them. All you're acknowledging right now is what is my part in this Mm -hmm. and how can I shift this? So the first thing you've got to do is really just look at it and then you've got to remove all of the pain out of it. You've got to take away the blame, the anger, the resentment. You've got to take away the BS story and that's the ego just trying to, you know, make you feel better about it. You've got to get through all that. So sometimes you've got to write it down or 
You've got to record yourself saying it or you've got to communicate it to somebody in some way as lovingly as you can. Get out, get it out of you until you're left with the facts. And the facts are, I owe this much money and there's not enough income to cover it. And that's it. All your debtors want to know is give us something, acknowledge us, tell us that you can pay this off $5 a week. It doesn't matter. All your debtors want to know is that you're going to pay it back and find a way. So if you confront them straight away, you get that monkey off your back and then you don't have people showing up on your doorstep or calling you for money or sending you horrible letters every day Mm -hmm. because that brings you back to a place of pain and worry again. Mm -hmm. You've got to get to a solution focused as fast as you can, say I'm doing the best, and then you've got to slowly chip away at it. And then you've got to stay focused on what you want, not what you don't want anymore. For as long as you hold any focus, you will be attracting in that focus. If you spend your time in worry, you're going to create more worry and you're going to create more bills, more stress. If you spend your time in solution, you're going to find more solutions. You know, the goal is to get to a solution as fast as you can and stop telling yourself that old emotional story. Then you're going to have to create some goals. You're going to have to write a goal list. And then every single goal on that list needs at least five to 10 steps of congruent next step action so that you can tick them off one by one and break it down. Because the first thing you're going to do is write it all down and just come become instantly overwhelmed. I didn't ask you to deal with everything on that list. I asked you to write the goal for each part of your life that you want to achieve in the next year. And then underneath that, write me 10 steps and they have to be congruent. The next step is call this person, sort this out. The next step is call this person, cancel this payment. Next step is call this person, tell them that they owe me money and I need to have some payment set up to return this money. Like go through your money, go through your bank accounts, go through everything and take control back inside first. Then you will feel so powerful that everything is in alignment. You've got that monkey off your back. That stress is not just hitting you at three in the morning and waking Mm -hmm. you up. And then you can actually start focusing on what you want. Why? When people are in debt, they try and make fast money. You're never going to make fast money because you're selling from a place of neediness. I call it stinkiness and people can smell it from a hundred paces. It's your energy. It's the energy that you're emitting. When I say energy, it's your feelings. So if you're trying to sell, I need this $2,000, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it, and you're being stinky, They will feel that on some level and it will show up instantly in your income because it's so energetic. And when people Mm -hmm. push money away, they don't realize that they're being stinky. And then you're going to attract a stinky client that's going to reflect back that you're not working from a place of service. You're working from a place of need. So it's about getting your emotional self right and your thoughts right. It's about balancing your emotion balancing your thoughts and coming back to a place of service so that the person that you're giving to feels seen, they feel respected, they feel loved, they feel like you've given them all of your attention, they feel like you've done the best job for them 
and that you've given them the best price, you've followed through and you've given them all of your love and intention. And none of that came from a place of stinkiness, you know, but we tend to sell from a place of stinky instead of coming back to service and control and focus. And when you're in emotional control, when you feel like you're on top of that debt, even if it's just setting up the payments, you will feel like a different person. It is incredibly liberating when there is something you can do about it. And like you said, even if it's just one step here, one step there, baby steps, you know, you might- write the steps. Yeah, you might not wipe your debt out all in one go. Of course you won't. But that's okay. You know, it's just making steps and how amazing that we have the, the power and the control to change it. So when I went through that phase of paying off my debt, being debt-free, learning how to receive money, I broke it down into different areas. I wasn't attracting clients that treated me with value, which means I was not marketing with value. I was spending more time in an energy of, I hope I'm good enough, instead of let me serve you. When I would start attracting clients, I would get them in but I was too afraid to educate them about money and value. So I wouldn't, and therefore it would be reflected in my sale. So they wouldn't buy because they would come back into the viewing room and go, what? $3,000? What? And then they would be shocked. And I would be sitting there in horror because I never believed I was worth $3,000. And they clearly are telling me I'm not. So I'm getting the evidence instantly of the energy I'm putting out. I'm getting evidence Mm -hmm. back that I'm not worth $3,000. But of course, I'm not giving $3,000 worth of value. I couldn't even tell them how much I charged. So of course, they're not educated or even in this idea that I'm valuable. Then I had to break it down to I found the courage and the value to say what I charged and shut up and let them decide on what they valued those images, and I've delivered on what they've asked for, so of course they would start to purchase. Now, those three steps took way quicker than learning how to value myself enough to keep the money, because originally the first year, my business took off, and we did a gross turnover of half a million dollars in my garage that very first year, and I got to the end of that first year with no money in the bank. So I was attracting clients, I was attracting value, I was attracting the sale, but somehow the money was gonna, was coming in and then just going everywhere, mm-hmm. but I wasn't keeping any <laughs> for me. And that's when I realized I was not giving my money any direction towards myself. In fact, I was giving my money away to all of my staff um, because I was so empowered by being able to pay people that I wasn't paying myself. So I had to break down all the value levels to different types of value. The first one being confident enough to say, I am of service and I am of value. The second one saying, I am of value, this is how much. The third one was being able to say, thank you very much for this $2,000 or $8,000 or $400. Thank you for choosing me to be your photographer, receiving with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was being able to keep that money for myself and not just give it away to other people for a feeling, but to keep it because I'm worth having a future. And so money is the reflection to your core value and your core values to you. And that's why it hurts so much 
when we want to be more value and we feel like people don't see our value, but the truth is what you're really saying is I don't see my true value mm-hmm. because oh, I... totally. And when you make people understand, like I will say to people, you're not selling your work. And they and I go, you don't value your work. And they go, yes, I do. And I say, really? Then why aren't you selling it? Because I value my work now and I sell my work now. And then I go, well, nobody comes. I don't get any clients. And I say, well, that's even worse because that means you're not asking for work. And if you're not asking for work, you're assuming that the universe knows that you need it. And being that you're not getting any means you're not asking for any. Mm. And, you know, it's so incredible to me that people will sit there and tell me, no, 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 I value money. I value my work. I value my craft and I value myself. And I go, if that were true, you would be out there networking, out there selling yourself, out there receiving money and out there putting a price on it, and you're not. Mm -hmm. So stop telling me the world doesn't value you and start being more valuable. Absolutely. I specifically remember this shift in my business when it really started to grow and my income just really took off was when I stopped freaking out about how much I'm charging and are they going to want me and instead shifted to I'm going to give them my pricing. They're going to say yes or no. And if they say no, that's okay. And if they say yes, great, because my time and what I do and the service that I provide, this is what I can offer people. And I'm excited to give it to them. And they're going to say yes or no. And that's okay. Instead of freaking out about it, as soon as I was able to shift that, It changed so much, so much. Okay, so this is a great point, Nikki. I believe everybody has a different value point and mine is different to yours. So yours was talking through rejection. Basically, Mm. you decided that some people will say no and some people will say yes, and it's okay if they say no, but I'm going to go with all the yes people. So you've already decided that your value point was not going to be dictated by rejection that you were a bit scared of rejection, but if you got it, you'd be okay. Mine was a little bit different. I would think to myself, whenever I was sort of out there looking for the yes or no, if I was communicating with someone or I was at a networking event or I was even at a social event and somebody would go, oh, you have to meet, so she's a photographer, and people would start going, oh, what sort of photography do you do? And I'd do my little pitch because I would get, I would, I network everywhere. I network socially. I network online. I network in person. Like I, everything I do is somehow about my business because it's just in every part of my conversation and who I am as a person. And I love talking about my business. So in my head, I would say, because I'm not the best photographer in the world. In fact, I'm a good photographer, but I knew I was never going to be a great photographer. But what I'm really good at is the relationship with people and making them feel comfortable. And Mm -hmm. I'm very good at taking people through the process of being photographed. I mean, I've been doing it for a lot of years. So in my head, I would say, you have no idea what I can do for you until you let me try. And I would just say it in my head, like I'd just say, oh my gosh, these people have no idea. They have no idea I can get them in front of my camera and I can relax them and I can just do this gorgeous hair and makeup. I can deliver everything that they want 
and they're going to be literally changed afterwards. Like they're going to look at me and go, you're the photographer I want to come back to for the rest of my life. Like I would think like I can blow this person away. Like I'm so excited to photograph them. I really felt like the challenge was my value. Like almost if somebody was like really avoiding the camera or they're like, oh, no, 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 that's not my jam. I would push further into those people because to me, the challenge was if I could convert this person and show them that I can take the best photograph they've ever seen of themselves. And then I would do that. For some reason, that challenge was my confidence. It was like I felt challenged by every single person that told me they I've never liked to photograph for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't like being photographed. That was it for me. That was my drive for value. And I mean, I, I've been through all the, if somebody dies, these images are more valuable than anything in the world. I get that. But for me, it was different. I just needed to find my like mantra around value. And that was it for me. This is a challenge and I'm going to win this person over. I'm not only going to photograph them, I'm going to take the best photographs they've ever seen. I'm going to get 15 referrals and she's going to pay me two and a half thousand dollars and say that was the most incredible experience of my life. I literally get goosebumps just saying that out loud. So it must still be something that I enjoy. But there's a value point for everyone. That's what I'm trying to get to. Like there's something inside you that drives you more than the fear. And I want to say one thing. When you're focused on yourself, when you're focused on that, am I good enough, imposter, you know, that, and I always do this voice whenever I do that thing, because to me, it's, it is so narcissistic to be so focused on your own inadequacy. It's going to get in the way of you providing service that somebody will pay a lot of money for. So I would bring myself back to narcissism and I'd say, really, that's what you want to do right now? There is somebody standing in front of you literally trying to pay you for service (laughs) and you're so wrapped up in your own inadequacy and that is pure narcissism, Sue Bryce, and you are not a narcissist. So pull your head out of your own butt and go and serve (laughs) that person and receive money in equal exchange for that job. Mm -hmm. It's false humility. If you're going to stand there and go, am I good enough? It's like you ask the universe to provide you an opportunity to get paid. This is your opportunity. If you don't step up to it now, you're not going to get paid. Where you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one's going to do it for you. It's true. No, that's what I told myself. And every single day I did it. And if I found myself in false humility, I called myself a narcissist and I said, is this really what you want to sit here and spend your whole day worrying about not being good enough or working actively towards a business that's actually going to flourish and grow? Didn't you find though, once you worked through all of that, I mean, look, you've got an incredibly successful business now and obviously it takes time to work through all of this or does it? I mean, is this something that you can just decide on and change or is it, you know, take time? For me, it took time. I, I know it took time for sure. Yeah, I think it takes everybody time because what you're talking about is habits are formed in the primitive brain. And then our logical brain, the brain that's constantly talking and arguing with the primitive brain, which always loses to, is our logical brain. And I think what happens is we formulate thought in our logical brain 
our primitive brain responds in habit. Whatever habits we have set are going to overpower the logical brain. So you might be thinking, I need to change this. And then the primitive brain will go back to an mm-hmm. old habit. And you're like, why do I fight myself? Well, you're not understanding one of the most fundamental ways that the human brain works. If you want to change something, you have to first change the habit of it. And money is a habit. The way we treat money is a habit. Mm -hmm. The way we talk about it is a habit. The way we avoid it is a habit. And you've got to look at your own action first and say, right, this is an old habit, an old belief system. This is old programming. In order to change it, I've got to come back to the habitual side of what I'm doing, seeing and being, because I will fall back to habit every single time. And yeah, it's really habitual more than thought at that point. Yeah, it goes back to cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, from way back when, it's changing, like you said, the patterns, the thoughts, everything that just is is a habit, totally. And observation is the first step. So you just got to watch the brain create a story. The front of your brain will create a story that will activate the back of your brain to go back to an old habit. So as soon as you're in negative thought, as soon as you get stuck in there, what have I done? Why am I here? Oh my God, I can't deal with this right now. I have so much anxiety. And anxiety is too much forward thinking, right? Resentment is too much past thinking. You've got to stay in the now. And if you really quiet the front of your brain, you know, you will actually start changing the steps forward. But again, you got to look at that story, just got to observe that thought and just say, why am I focused here right now? Why am I focused on negatively, you know, talking about the situation when I could come to a solution? What is the solution? Just keep coming. What is it? Ask your logical brain, what is the solution? There is always a solution. Even when you can't think of it, there is always a solution. Well, like you said, with the observation piece, when you had taught me about all of this, I started to look at what are my habits and patterns around money. And I also started paying attention to Dan's as well. And one of the things I noticed that he would do, he had this sort of idea that, well, I don't need a lot of money. You know, I don't need to have big, nice things and whatever. And I remember finally figuring out where that was coming from. And he did as well. In his mind, people who had a lot of money were bad. To him, it was this like cool, like great thing to not need money. But I'm like, uh, babe, so when we want to get that lake house, how are we going to go ahead and do that? When we want to travel to Thailand? And when the boys want to go to college? Yeah. And how are we going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And I slowly saw this shift in him mm-hmm. when it's like, we're not bad people for wanting to reach our dreams and goals. We just need money to get there. So- When did we decide rich people were bad? Because rich people do shitty things, that's why. Mm -hmm. And he who has the gold makes the rules. So this has been our human evolution for the last thousands of years. Since Egyptian time, he who has the gold makes the rules. Okay, now, think about it like this, and it's so incredible to me. And I also said this on my TEDx talk. Abundance is available to everyone. Okay, the metric for abundance is not good and bad. So I understand why poor people look at rich people and think you have a lot and I have nothing and you are a bad person Mm. because Mm -hmm. I did. 
And I also grew up in a family with no money, but my two aunties were incredibly wealthy. They married wealthy men. They had big, fancy homes. We then became the poor cousins. And I felt that stigma as a child. I felt like I was being treated like a poor kid. As a kid, I remember Mm -hmm. the feeling. And I have talked to you about it, Nikki. I remembered feeling like a dirty kid and being Mm -hmm. treated like a dirty kid. And I don't know why I felt that as a child, but that has seriously impacted my way forward. I will tell you the answer right now. The metric to abundance is not good and bad. Bad people become rich. Bad people become successful. Mm -hmm. Bad people make a shit ton of money. The metric is worthy and worthless. And you are the only person that can decide how worthy you are and how worthless you are. Now, what Dan was saying to you is what every Christian leader, what every spiritual leader, what every monk, what every sort of humility leader has talked about. And the sheer statement of that, we don't need a lot because a lot is greedy and a lot is this and a lot is that. That is incorrect programming. And I'll tell you why. You're saying people who have a lot are bad and that is not true. Money makes you more of what you already are. If you and Dan got more money, you would be more of what you are now. You're both good people. You're people that care about the world and the environment and other people and your children. You would just be wealthy, good people. Worthy and worthless is your decision to ask and receive for something that you believe you're worthy of. If you believe you're worthy of it and you are asking for it and you declare it to God or the universe, whoever you speak to, and then you step forward to every opportunity that is presented to you, holding in that space what you asked for and the worthiness to receive it, it will become yours as instantly as you can hold that focus to receive it. It is that simple. That is the basis of Abraham. That is the basis of Wallace Waddles. That is the basis of all manifestation. And it is not something that happens in a dream. It is something that happens in your thought and emotional process and the focus you can hold every day towards it. And it is so powerful when you activate it. You are unstoppable and it will be in direct proportion to what you ask for, what you step up to receive and what you are grateful for. Because if you've got a big ask and you've got big arms and you've got big gratitude, you will get everything that you ask for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, can yeah. you just repeat that? <laughs> I can't. That's incredible. I, I just have to get people to that, Nikki. Right. It's not that you would believe that. It's not even that you could activate that. It's the it's the understanding that there are steps to take that get you there. And it's the steps that you need to take that are the important part, not the goal. Let me tell you something. You said you've created a successful business. You've got to understand, E-Myth is one of my favorite books. In the E-Myth revised version, which came out, I think, two years ago, he wrote the first one 17 years ago. So he's grown a lot as an entrepreneur and as a writer. It's a great book because it's really about the energy that you put into your business that filters down through your staff, through your people, through your product, and then out attracts to the world. I'm probably giving you the more energetic version of it because that's my 
shtick, but the truth is, is you can really feel energy in business. There have been many times, Nikki, that I've disengaged from my business. I get overwhelmed. I get stressed out. Mm -hmm. I get distracted trying to create other things. Sometimes I felt trapped. When I lost my dad, I had a year of grief where I pretty much checked out. I went into avoidance in lots of areas that I couldn't deal with. Every single time I've experienced those periods in in the last 20 years of being self-employed, it has shown up instantly in my income. And the only way to get income back is to re-engage emotionally. So what I would do is I would notice my income dropping. I would acknowledge and accept that I'm disconnected from the business for whatever reason. I would replenish my joy for teaching, for photographing, for money, for I would reset my plans. I would rewrite my goals. I would give my money new direction And then I would re-engage with my business. And without doubt, every single time I have experienced that downturn, I have built my business bigger, stronger, more profit, more margin, next level, take a big step up. But every time I disengaged, it hurt me financially. And so it showed me over and over again that you must replenish your joy to simply have the energy to give to your business, the people in your business, and even the clients you're attracting. Because it's so much energy, if you don't replenish it, you're overwhelmed, you're working from a place of, you're working from a place of negative focus instead of working from a place of power focus, you know? And you've got to get right inside. You've got to feel good so you can give good through your business. So you know me, how I'm very much a but how, but how person. And I'm saying this more too for listeners too, because I've I've worked through so much of this from just watching, you know, your videos and listening to you and talking with you. It's like, okay, I know that I've got to do this, but how do I like break it down into these smaller steps? Like, is it I wake up in the morning and I say a mantra? Is it if I'm feeling a certain anxiety towards my business or the money, do I acknowledge and release? Like, what are some of those like, actionable, just if I'm getting tripped up or stuck that people can do just to move forward. Okay. So I would do the first 15 money steps. The first 15 money steps are really, 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 really big. But there's one step that we can take for just one step that's got to get us into a better mindset first. And what we have to do right now is write out the problem that we're faced with. And then we're going to take all of the emotion out of it, and we're just going to write the facts, the real facts. And it's not going to be, I owe $24,000 and I have no income and none is coming towards me, I'm screwed. That's not a fact. (laughs) That is like (laughs) a death sentence you've given yourself. I Mm -hmm. want you to write out the facts. I owe this much money and next month they require this much payment. Like you need to get real about what's happening to you and you need to separate that fact from your emotional pain, which is connected to your old story. Mm. So Mm -hmm. we do two things. We First, we look at our money, shame, guilt, sickness, stress, avoidance. And then the first thing we do is attach to an old story. And the old story is that horrible voice inside you that says, you're useless, you're out of control, you can't run a business. You're not smart enough. Nobody taught you how to do this. You're an idiot. 
you're about to lose everything. And that's that smashing voice from your past that comes back, mm-hmm. whatever that is. God, I remember that voice. Oh, it's such an awful... Oh, of course. I remember back when I was in debt and those voices, it was horrible. Because that was your focus. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that's what I would focus on, every time I would fail, I would just focus on how bad I was at it, then you're going to get more of that. So I want you to stop that. Because that has nothing to do with the facts. That's just how you feel about them and Mm -hmm. an old programming way forward. And that's never got you anywhere. So you can stop right now and say, right, these are the facts. All I have to do is come to a solution to these facts, not the emotional problem. The emotional problem is right now I've been avoiding my finances. I'm in debt. I'm in trouble. I'm scared and I've lost my income. So you just need to write out the problem, separate the emotion and start coming to solution focuses for those problems because they're not emotional and you need to pull your focus out of that negative every single time it comes up and say, right now, I'm just focused on a solution. And you are only to talk to people that can talk about a solution or positive energy. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to people that are going to drag you down with money, finances, problems, you're going to come straight back down there yourself. As soon as you start lifting yourself up out of this sort of drama focused and problem focused, you can come up out of your negative focus and just start solution focused. Don't try and positive focus. Get to a solution first. A solution is the only thing that will pull you out of a problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it seems like being solution focused for all of this, you know, especially in a downturn, we can focus on all of the things that you know, we're scared about and we could get into a really dark place if we let ourselves. So people are already there. Yeah. I mean, I know I fluctuate from day to day. I'm trying really Mm. to stay positive. I have really great days and some days I'm like, okay, this is really scary. And at what point do you just allow yourself to feel, you know, the darkness and just acknowledge it that yes, it's there. You know, how much grace do you give yourself before it's like, all right, it's time to be solution focused again. Okay. Well, here's the thing. The first three weeks of self-quarantine with the coronavirus, I just felt everybody's anxiety. Mm -hmm. I walked away the first two weeks. I could not create. I could not get into a creative focus because worry is the opposite to a creative focus, right? Mm -hmm. And worry and competition are the two things that drive you out of creating anything. So if you're comparing yourself, you get pushed out of creativity pretty fast. I knew I wasn't going to come to any solutions if I stayed in a worry focused. So I sat down and I wrote out my facts. What am I afraid of? Okay, so I sat down and went, well, why am I writing what I'm afraid of? Because it isn't what I'm faced with, but it helped. I was like, I'm worried about losing my business. I'm worried about watching all of my students lose their income. I'm worried for my mum to be safe. I'm not worried about getting the virus. I'm hopefully healthy enough. But, you know, I went through the facts. That was the fears. And then I wrote out the facts and I ripped up all my fears and threw them away and said, these are not happening to me right now, but I know if they do, I'm going to have to deal with them when I cross that bridge. Right now, I can only focus on what I can do. Mm -hmm. So I sat down with my facts and I wrote it all out and I assessed how long I was going to feel comfortable. This is what it comes down to for me. The first people we lose are the people who are living month to month, because that's crisis right there. And it's a very Mm -hmm. small percentage of people in my business group, because most of the people in my business group 
a building business. So they might be lower in income, but they're not without income. A very small percentage were without income. We're going to lose them straight away because they honestly are just trying to pay rent this month. And that's our first crisis group. So if we're talking about students or businesses that are listening to this, if you were in the month-to-month zone, this is the thinning of the herd because this is the first group that are going to get kicked off the fastest. And they're also the first group that are going to go to money pain and be very overwhelmed by where they're at. And I've been there. I've lived there so for most of my life until I was 30. Mm-hmm, that's same, where I lived. Yeah. And I know that pain. And right now you need to focus on survival. And I want to just say one thing. I know it's really hard, but be very careful about bridging loans, taking loans from people that are going to amalgamate your debt, because inevitably the poor people will get the fast loans with 27% compounding interest. They won't be able to pay it in one year. It'll compound to 27% next year. It'll compound to 27% the third, the fourth, the fifth. And before you know it, that debt has quadrupled and you're still poor. And the rich dude that lent you that money has made a ton off you. The poor will get poorer because they're so abused with money like that. And I didn't understand that until I got an $8,000 car loan. I paid back $24,500 over six years. Now, by the time I'd finished paying that debt, I didn't even have that car anymore. That's how they keep us poor. And so be very careful about bridging loans. You actually have an opportunity to leverage yourself out of debt right now because it is a holding zone. There is a grace period for payments. If you jump on all of your payments and get them set up right now, you could actually find yourself in a much better situation because it's not a poor me story. The whole world is pushed down with income right now. So there are allowances. There are, you know, um, things you can do if you're actively looking for um, help to alleviate your debts and and your payments right now if you're smart Just don't incur more debt thinking you're going to get out of it when they're going to lock you in for four more years of pain. Now, I want to speak to the next group of people. And the next group of people are the people that had started their businesses, started to make an income, and then just lost all their clients. So a lot of you are going to be paying rent on studios and mortgages and and rent at home with no future income. And those sort of that startup level, I find a lot of those people did not have a lot of principal income in their bank account. So you're going to take what you've got and make it last until you can turn sales back on, until you can turn work back on. We don't know if that's going to be one more month or six more months. Now, then we're faced with businesses that have employees and honestly, right now, they're going to have to cut back. They're going to have to cut back those wages. And that is going to be brutal to do because you're going to have to have some hard conversations with the people that you love. But this, unfortunately, has got to save you, right? And that's got a big, hard rivet across right there. So there are so many levels of pain, but every single one of them come down to money. And I've got to say, Nikki, the one thing I've having repeat conversations with at all levels of money 
is this idea that money makes you feel secure moving forward. It does, but it's such an illusion. It is such an illusion. So if you are struggling with money right now and you create a bank account, like print a bank statement where you change your income to $100,000 so that you look at it and you go, well, I've got this safety cushion. It's not even there. People feel more secure doing that. It's so crazy. It's this idea that I'm safe because I have income. And it's such an illusion energy. And I, I just feel like it always comes down to how prepared we were, how secure we feel, how long we believe we can sustain without getting into trouble, and then dealing with the trouble and the problem right now that you're being hit with, dealing with the fact and logic without letting your past pain and story contribute to that. Yeah, you know, you're right. There are so many people who are just at different levels. And I know I've personally experienced all of the levels. I've been the paycheck to paycheck person. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got the savings now. You know, my husband is also self-employed and my income is the main income of our family. And I felt the stress of all of it. I mean, being in the position that I'm in now is definitely the best position I've ever been in my life. Hang on. A good question for you then would be, if you've experienced that, so... In 2008, were you, you weren't self-employed. Were you um, in a good position with money? No, I was a social worker living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And you owned a property. Not at that time. Oh yes, I did. I take that back. I had a condo. Sometimes I forget about that because it was so stressful. (laughs) But you kept it. I did. How did you do that? I was renting it. Um, I convinced the HOA of the condo that I, you know, had lived in to allow me to rent it so that I didn't have to foreclose because I was in Michigan at the time and we had moved to Seattle and the the value of the condo dropped so severely. I didn't want to just foreclose. That's just what didn't feel right to me. But I also couldn't come up with the like $80,000 I would need to short sale. It was just, it was a mess and it was really stressful. So I found a way to keep it by convincing the HOA to let me rent it, even though I wasn't allowed to. Right. Yeah, And yet so many people lost their properties because they were over leveraged and didn't have anything to pay back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you kept it. So if you remember that time, did you lose your job? No. Right. So you shouldn't have ever lost your condo anyway because you never lost your income. And it's incredible to me how many people still lost their properties and everything, even when they didn't lose their income for that long because they were just so over leveraged in every other part of their money. Right. Well, we had moved to Seattle, so I now had rent to pay somewhere else. So it was like double. So that's why I ended up having to to rent it. If I hadn't lost my job and I stayed in Michigan, it wouldn't have been any stress for me at all because I was still in the same situation. Right. And then you got a solution and you worked your way through it. There is going to be a lot of people like that. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of people that lose income for three months, Mm -hmm. but then don't lose anything else. I mean, a lot of people sit in a good situation. There's a lot of people swimming naked. So I just know that the amount of sort of pain that people are in really comes down to what they're sort of sitting on and what they're hiding. And I think that's probably where most people are working from emotionally. You know, I think you're right because there isn't a way to hide it. If you're losing your house, you can't hide anymore that you're in debt. I mean, there's no right. there's no hiding behind that anymore. And I think it really no. does. It makes people face the reality and stop avoiding. And that can be a painful place. At least at the beginning, I know when I looked at my debt for the first time, like truly head on, it was painful at first until I could work Mm. through it. 
right? There was a lot of shame there for me. It was I was yeah. I was shamed, not shamed by other people. I was shaming myself. I felt a Same. lot of shame. I felt like it was a secret that was given to people that I never got given. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? Am I not smart enough to just work this out? Like, why is it so easy for some people to accumulate money and I just repel it? Yep. Is it because we felt like the dirty little kids when we were younger? Like, what is it? Yep. So coming out of this, though, you know, this downturn, we can only imagine if history repeats itself, it's going to swing back up. Yeah. And, you know, what, what do people do? Oh, it's so interesting. My students now are asking me about selling in the next one to six months. They're like, do we make everything discounted? And I said, why? Do we do this? Do we do that? Do we do this? And I'm like, oh, yes. Okay. What we really need to talk about is first we need to talk about survival. Then we need to talk about making whatever you've got last and not getting into debt whilst we're in this downturn and crisis. If we go into a full recession, then yes, that's going to thin the herd again because it, that's what happens. This is what happens. Now, over the weekend, I researched how many pandemics we've had in the world in the last 120 years because I was most interested in modern time pandemic. We had like there's three and it's really interesting because uh, Forbes actually posted an article last week about the 1917 Spanish flu, it killed 50 million people worldwide, severely impacted the economy. Smallpox took 20 million Americans that had come here as early settlers, died 20 million from smallpox. And it really obliterated this massive population that had just settled here. And then an entire new wave of population come. We've looked at pandemics in the past when we didn't have you know, the medical and and the advancements we have now, even though this is frightening and also hitting the world at a global scale, it's still going to impact our industry and it's going to impact our economy and it may force a recession, which we've been waiting for. The market resets every 10 years. They always say it. We haven't had a big reset since 2008. It's going to shake things up. It's going to cause change. So we just have to make sure that the people who are getting forcibly changed are in as safe a place as they can be. But I have seen just incredible growth from downturns. Mm-hmm. So early 90s, I was an employee. 2008, I was a business owner. So totally different experience for me. But I watched it thin down the herd fast. And the more you were swimming naked when the tide goes out, the faster you get put down. The more you have in principle and the more you have hold you know, to your soul path and you have to stay in a certain place, the further you held in a position of safety. And then there were those that just thrived in this market. They just created more. They just reconnected more. They were ready to go when it turned back. I want to be in that place. So I want to try and get to a place where I can start creating again so I can start creating products for a downturn market There may be a bit of a shift in what we sell, how we sell our packages, but don't talk about guilt selling or recession selling. A lot of my students wrote in the group this week, you know, do we give discount vouchers out to people? And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, why would you do that? And they were like, well, there's a lot of people get hit hard. And I said, do you really think the people that are hit hard are going to be your first clients? 
No, usually it's the people that weren't hit that hard mm. that are that just go back to resume their normal spending. So there's going to be lots of things like that that come up. Again, we don't know when, we don't know how, but the whole point of it is that I just stay on top of that market so I can just keep giving my students the words and the energy they need, whatever they're faced with. Just no guilt selling, no discount selling. We don't have to become budget just because there was a downturn. In fact, it's a time for more value. I saw after 2008 extreme creativity and abundance. It's like we quarantine people for three months and everyone's like caged animals and the creativity sits underneath all the anxiety, but it hasn't gone away, Nikki. It's still there. And you watch when it turns back, you watch people get rid of their anxiety real fast and just explode creativity. I saw more businesses built in 2009 than I did in the last 20 years. I saw an increase in online education, in online business, and in online sharing, meaning people got braver and more confident in their sales videos and their connection. And they were really putting themselves out there in their business to attract clients. They evolved and they thrived. Mm -hmm. And we are all going to evolve. And then when it comes back, our choice will be to survive or thrive and be in that mindset that's ready to go. But you will see a lot of fearful selling. You'll see a lot of stinky selling because people are stinky in their money. So they're going to attract that energy. And we're going to see a lot of people we love lose things, Mm -hmm. things that they Mm -hmm. thought they owned, but they didn't. And it feels like personal loss, but they're just things. You know, you can't replace people, but you can rebuild money, you can rebuild savings, you can rebuild business. Mm -hmm. They're just things. And sometimes these situations remind us what's important. If you're bloated in your life, this will get rid of your bloat. Okay. If you are overspending, if you are using money in the wrong way, this is going to wake you up. If you are swimming naked and the tide just went out, you're going to make sure that you never swim naked again. I love that you just said that, actually, because something that you also teach that I've learned from you is everything is a lesson. There's a lesson in everything. So it can be, okay, how am I going to learn from this and move forward? You know, if I mess up with a client or a client doesn't buy or something, what did I do in this situation? What can I do better next time? It's about taking responsibility for me And yes, there are downturns and yes, there are things that are out of our control as in this situation, but I can control what I'm going to do next and I can learn from this and grow from this. And I just, I hope that that is, is the mindset that people can take because it's such a better place to be than to be the victim. Well, it's because of the first recession I experienced that I had $100,000 in the bank for the second recession Mm. that I went through that I didn't have to lay anybody off because I survived it. Mm -hmm. And it's because of that that I'm always cushioned moving forward because I saw the first one. But it's I'm going to go one deeper than there is a lesson here for you. And the one deeper is, yes, there is a huge life lesson here. And if you embrace it and move through it, you're going to be a different person for the rest of this decade. But it's more than a lesson. What you have right now 
is a direct reflection of what you think, feel, and take action on in your everyday life. If you want that to change, you have to change the way you think, feel, and take action. And if you're prepared to do that work, you will shift whatever you want to shift. This is more than a lesson. There is so much in here to change and grow, but it's very hard to get excited about that when you're in anxiety, fear, and pain. So first things first, self-care, mindset, balance your emotions, balance your thoughts, come to action and separate the emotional pain from it right now. You're going to be okay. You can grow from this is the first message. And the second one is as fast as you can get to solution so that you can remove the pain and the loop that keeps pulling you back down. And number three, write some goals with congruent steps and start taking action, even if they're baby steps. There is so much power in action and there is so much power in stepping forward and taking control of your emotions, your life, your finances, and your anxiety, Mm -hmm. okay? And the rest is going to unfold. How will it unfold? I don't know. I'm just looking at it every day, knowing that I have everything inside me to deal with it, keeping my friends, family, staff safe, as as safe as I can, and really just coming back to a creation mindset and supporting as many people as I can. That's all I can do right now. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I think this is going to help a lot of people just to listen to how the energy shift is so important and how there are things you can control right now, even if we do feel out of control. So I'm just grateful for everything you've ever taught me around money and changing my perception of it. And yeah, I have a feeling a lot of people are really going to benefit from this as well. Yeah, And there is so much more on the, the Subarise education, like you said, the money wheel of misfortune talks. Oh my gosh, that like changed my life. Survive to thrive. So yeah. And I like manifestation and oh, manifestation because yeah, I, I do believe in taking action. So, you know, another thing that I've been working on a money course, but I feel like right now it's almost ready. But the thing is right now, it's a real thrive, abundant sales class. And I feel like right now for anybody in money pain, it's just going to, you know, not mm. connect with mm-hmm. what they have to, what they're currently going through. I've seen this from every level. I've seen the pain and fear and stress that money causes. I've watched people in business lose everything. Businesses take on a lot of water before they sink. Mm -hmm. And people live, like I said, swimming naked. So it's just hard watching other people lose. But at the same time, I love watching people learn Mm -hmm. and experience. And boy, you guys are experiencing something pretty insane right now. I mean, this is my second time around. I'm actually quite calm. (laughs) I'm going to be okay. I have decided in my soul that my bottom line is I can rebuild everything I've built because my value is not in the things around me. My value comes from me. It comes from every part of me. It comes from me to my camera. It comes through my computer. It comes out of my voice, out of my teaching. 
you could set fire to everything here except for the people. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. I can't set fire to my people. No, and I'll do no. everything to protect them. And yeah. that is it. That is it for me. I can rebuild anything. I'm not losing anything. So if you really think about the stress you're holding right now in your body, the fear, the anxiety, or the projected worry, if you can pull that back and just say, we're going to be okay, I'm going to come to a solution on whatever I'm faced with, if you can get there, then you're already winning. Yeah. Look, I just, why did I do a TEDx talk about it? I wanted to call my TEDx talk Uneducated Woman because I thought if there was a way to sum me up, what was the thing I was most afraid of when I built a business? Becoming a Ford face of my brand was probably something that terrified me the most. I started my very first international broadcast to 11,000 people with the sentence, I left school when I was 15 years old. Mm. I have no education. And I remember thinking, if people understood my shame, they'll understand that everything I've learned has come from action and practice mm -hmm. and experience, that I did not get an education and I can't be shamed for that because it was kind of like, you know, Eminem. It was the eight mile, like I'm poor, I'm white trash. I, I, what can you say about me? Like, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is everything mm -hmm. I'm not. I led with that because it was such a big part of my shame. And yet the irony is I had learned the tools to not only create a business that thrived, but survived, even a downturn. I had learned inner skills. I'd learned mindset skills. I'd learned money skills. I'd learned people skills. I have grown in wisdom as I've aged and practiced my business. I had everything you needed. And all I needed was to say that to myself so that I didn't stand there and feel not enough to be able to teach that message. You're going to be okay. You found me for a reason. This is change. If I could beg you to do anything, it would be ask your heart and soul, what are you going to change from this? Like, what are you going to grow into next year? Because you have clearly been shown that you deserve more. You have clearly been shown that you need to ask for more. You have clearly been shown it's time to step up to be more. The only person that's going to step up is you. So step up now and decide what you're going to change so that you are never in this situation again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Love to you all. Stay Thank safe, you. stay Again. strong, <laughs> stay solution-focused, stay positive, stay powerful, and stay happy because, you know, that's all we have right now. It's true. So true. Thanks again. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35 and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love. And there are posing downloads, lighting downloads. I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. 
It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.